Hello folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. We are on episode 31 and we're here with Mr. Mark Strathern. How are you, mate? How's things? I'm good, mate. Thanks so much for having me. That's not a problem, mate. It's not a problem. You're, I've been wanting to get you on for a long time, um, but I've procrastinated and not done it, not messaged you. Um, one of those ones, I will be too busy, but we've, we've got you on now. It was quite easy. I only took an Instagram message. Um, but yeah, mate, what's what's going on in your life just now? What are, what are you up to? Mate, I think the reason why this was so difficult to pencil in is just because I've been out of the country so much recently. Um, I'm actually so glad to be home in my own routines for a while. Over the last 12 weeks, I was in Dubai, then I was in Ibiza booking our wedding, then I was in Seville for the Europa League final. If there's any Celtic fans watching, please don't uh, have any poor words to say. And then I was in London, of course, last week because we wanted to try and pencil in last week. So, yeah, it's um, it's been a heavy few months and I don't think I ever would have said before that I'm dying to get home and just be in my own routine. I know people can kind of say that towards the end of a holiday, but they don't really mean it. Um, but I am so glad to be home. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but I think I managed things extremely well when I was away. I think one of the biggest things that I kind of want to teach people is that, that, that if they can lean into their values and understand what their values are, and they have the tools and the blueprint and the understanding of how to manage these variables so that they can enjoy it to the best of potential and not really sacrifice how they feel, I need to be able to prove to the people that I'm trying to teach this to that I can do it as well. So probably like most previously holidays would have just been like a two-week OTT, um, all or nothing kind of everything goes kind of approach. But I think over the last few years, I've really tried to refine things just to ensure that my standards are a representation of the things that I like to discuss and teach and coach about, which I'm sure we will kind of dive into today. Yeah, mate, we've I've obviously heard you speak a good few times on podcasts and within the, the High Performance Coach about things like self-acceptance, self-worth, and just really taking a deep dive into just the emotional side of things. Um, so that's obviously something I, I want to dive into today. Um, so, mate, I think it's probably a good place to start going going into your journey. Um, how did you find self-acceptance? I know I've heard your story before and it's quite a quite an interesting one. Yeah, um, it's funny. I never really get tired of telling the story purely because I think it's one that's really appropriate for probably a lot of what people have went through in Scotland, especially. I mean, the culture that we have here, it's very cliquey. It's very unhealthy. It's very rough around the edges. And when I say that, it means more so that people shouldn't really show emotion. They shouldn't really understand how to use their emotions to guide them through life. If you show emotions, you should just actually try and shut them away and work harder. And you should be a big boy, pull your big boy pants up and so on and so forth. But essentially, I think I was always a bit of an emotional kid. And I don't mean when I say an emotional kid that I used to cry all the time because that wasn't the case. It was just that I realised I was very in touch with how I felt at any given opportunity. And I actually think that came from having a speech impediment when I was younger. So I had a speech impediment until I was, I think, eight. I had to go to um, a speech therapist every single Friday after school, primary one, primary two, into primary three. And for a very short time in my kind of infancy, my brother actually used to have to translate for me to my mum to actually get past what I was trying to say. So I think from a very early age, I kind of sat in the discomfort of like frustration, feeling out of place, feeling like I never really fitted in, feeling like I was different from everyone else. 
And as a result, that kind of ended up in quite a lot of bullying as well. Like I said, the kind of culture we have in the UK is that if you are not someone who fits with the crowd, then essentially you are a bit of a reject and it's quite an easy target to pick on. So I went through quite a lot of bullying when I was younger. And even when I was younger as well, I had this really kind of small head and big ears. Like luckily, you look at me now, um, I think my head's grown from everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> up until this point um but I used to have really big ears and a really like, kind of small head or my ears were just that big and made my head look small so for a long time it wasn't just the kind of speech impediment that used to get kind of picked on it was more so my looks the way I presented myself because even when you're you're struggling like that you struggle to communicate with people you don't really stand authoritatively in conversations even at a young age you, you you kind of shy away and you don't take part so people used to tell me that I was like a Russian monkey from the jail sorry, from the, from the circus, and essentially I was that much of a reject that even the rejects didn't want me, and I was, like, left at my parents' door and all this sort of stuff. And funnily enough, some of these um, these kind of slaggings were actually created by my brother, <laughs> which then other people caught on to, which kind of hurt even more. And, and I think that's why as well, like, as I've kind of grown up, I've been very disconnected from this whole cultural thing of family almost like blood is thicker than water. Like for me, due to the self-awareness that I've gained, I think so many people invest themselves into their families when it's not worth investing in because they think they should. And it's something that's quite profound because I'm happy to say, like me and my brother don't actually speak anymore. And it's because over the years I realised that he was kind of dragging me down and people stay in the relationships with those people in their family because they feel they should. They feel like they're a measure of what the people around them and their family dictate about them so it's like I am what my parents say I am I just want to make them proud I want them to see me in a particular light I want my siblings to accept me in particular ways which isn't always going to be the case because you're different people with different values with different lives with different hobbies with different likes and dislikes with different emotional intelligence and maturity and so on and so forth and your upbringing, even though you were brought up in the same household, yes, you will have kind of commonalities between you of what kind of behaviours impacted you when growing up. But at the same time, there's a difference in perspective as to how you deal with them. And one of the kind of main reasons why me and my brother don't actually speak anymore is because he is victimised by what went on in our childhood, whereas I am more victim mentality based. Like I learned from it instead of using it as a form of trying to gain acceptance, validation, and realistically through the adversity and the challenge, use that to kind of guide me through life in a different way. And now as an adult, I think as an adult, I don't think as a six-year-old child, whereas he's on a very different scale. He still thinks as a six-year-old child and he's a 30-year-old man, um, which I think is very important for people to understand because when they're in their adult life, they very often think about themselves in a particular light, which isn't true it's more so the childlike self of them speaking about them. So if you are someone that believes you're not good enough because you were bullied when you were younger and you were told you were a reject and you were told that you didn't really fit into the crowd and you believe that about yourself now when you're 30, it's not true. Like, where's the data to back that up? And where's the information to say that that is absolute gospel? It's not. It's just someone inside your head, which is a younger version of you, telling you that essentially that's the case when it's not. And so many... Adults live like big children. And it's funny because I'll say to my clients sometimes, like, I work just with a lot of big kids because you're trying to reframe a lot of what they know and what they've learned and what their blueprints are in life. And 
it's about trying to get them to realise that they are more than they seem they, they they are more than they seem to think that they are. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, because everything kind of stems from there. Everyone, everything stems from the way everyone images themselves, like looks at themselves, creates a picture of themselves. So if you see a picture in your mind of what you believe yourself to be, and you reinforce that continuously by sabotaging yourself, putting yourself down, self-loathing, criticizing yourself too much, it's just a never-ending hamster wheel and nothing changes. And I think when people are trying to develop and they're trying to change, it's almost like the person that they want to be is like so far in the future. It's like, oh, one day I'll hopefully become that person. One day I'll hopefully achieve these goals. But it doesn't happen without a structure, without a plan, without a blueprint, without speaking to yourself in a different way, without actually understanding why you feel this current way about yourself and then finding the information and the data to back that up and then realizing when that's not true, creating a new way to look at yourself through the way that you speak about yourself. It's like, it's like repainting, right? Like I know that my parents only done the best that they could with the tools that they had at any given point. Were they perfect? No. Did I develop a lot of portraits from them? Yes. Is that my responsibility to change as an adult? Yes. Is it my responsibility to act like a victim and essentially put all of my portraits down to what someone else has taught me? No, because at the end of the day, like we are adults and we need to learn to fend for ourselves. And if we give in to the whole, this is just the way that I am, the only person that you're going to hurt long term is yourself. Yeah, man. I know we can digress there. I don't even know how we got to that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, it's, I think we actually came off our story. I don't even think I told the true story, but anyway, you, you heard part of it. <laughs> no, no, that, like there was a few things going through my head as we were speaking there, and it was that was incredible to listen to that. But I actually remember watching, I think, the first training that you'd put into the the high performance coach. I was just in it, it was like early doors. I think I'd been in about six months, and I could relate to so much what you were saying there in terms of before I, I just believed what I was what I was told when I was younger. I was like, I was overweight, I was, I was, I was this and that. I was just so many things I believed about myself when I was like 12, 13, 14, all the way growing up. Like I ended up, I'm 25 now. I think I got up to around about the time I was 22. I was still believing every single one of these things about myself. I had to be in a particular shape to fit in. I had to do certain things that my friends were doing to fit in. And it was only really when I probably listened to that train, the penny dropped. And I was like, why do I still believe <laughs> these things? Why am I still trying to mold my life to look a certain way, to be a certain person? When in reality, I just started my coaching business and I knew I was so much more. And I think the last three years have been the biggest amount of kind of development I've done in terms of like maturity and just ignoring that kind of image of myself that I had before. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a game changer for me. And it's, it's really taken me to a next level in terms of the way that I see myself. Um, but yeah, self-acceptance is a hard one. I struggle to rationalize it. I struggle to articulate it. But every time I listen to you, it makes a lot more sense. Um, how do you then work with clients that, that have that mindset possibly similar to I did. Yeah, I think a very common thing in the fitness industry, and I think a lot of people who perhaps have went to coaches and are listening to this will maybe resonate with it. I think a lot of clients who try and open up to coaches that are not as intelligent emotionally as they should or could be, definitely should be, <laughs> um, probably really struggle to get results because the coach very often, and you'll hear this all the time from being around other coaches, Coaches describe clients like that as a headache. 
this client isn't progressing. This client just wants to talk to me all the time. This client isn't getting the result. And something very, very important to realize about the fitness industry for anyone listening in and when it comes to picking a coach is essentially coaches, a lot of coaches are driven by ego. A lot of coaches are driven by client results because it makes them feel better and they don't care about how to get the result for their client as long as it gets the result because it strokes their own ego. Because with the fitness industry not being a governed body, it's essentially a lot of people who have low self-esteem that have got themselves in great shape because they've had low self-esteem. Because when you've got low self-esteem, you try and gain control of the one thing that essentially you feel you can control that has tangible metrics that you can measure, which is always going to be your body. And I was there, you've been there. And as a result of that, you get into a kind of toxic mindset of thinking that you're, you're measured upon your success. So there's things called ego beliefs. And one of those ego beliefs is that you are all of your achievements which is very, very destructive and detrimental because it means that you'll never actually be happy. And if you're not achieving something consistently and you high, in a sense, then you're always going to be at risk. It's just like the people, there's another ego belief, which is essentially, I am what I have. It's like the people that upload their kids' birthday presents lying on their couch on their birthdays and then filming them unwrapping every present. It's like, that's an ego belief. You're measuring yourself off of what you believe yourself to have. Every time they get a new car, every time they go on holiday, they can't go to a restaurant without taking a picture. We all have those people on Facebook. And if you're listening back and that's you, don't worry. Like, we've all been there. But it's something to become more aware of because ego beliefs take away from your intentions that you ultimately set for yourself to be a better person. And when it comes to setting intentions, a really appropriate thing to know is that we kind of subconsciously and consciously always set intentions to do things, but we don't always have, like I said before, the structure and the blueprint to follow through with it. And there's different kind of stages that you need to go through to essentially achieve that true intention. So number one is like discipline. Number two is wisdom. Number three is love. And number four is like surrender. So if you look at it from a perspective of getting into coaching, for example, with your clients, the reason why you get into coaching is because you ultimately had created a disciplined lifestyle for yourself. And you realized through that discipline that you actually enjoyed what you became disciplined about and it made you feel 10 times better. You wanted to pass the knowledge on to other people. So you gained the wisdom and you also loved what you did and you did what you loved. That's the discipline, wisdom, love part. And then finally, you surrender to whatever it is that you need to do to actually make yourself the best possible coach. So investing in a high-performance coach, going on courses, that money that you spend when you set an intention is never as hard as if you've not set an intention. It's like people signing up to you and I. I'll get clients who have already set the intention of, I will do anything to change, versus people that are like, I want to change, but I won't do anything to change, including parting with my money, for example. And when it comes to overall kind of self-acceptance there needs to be an intention set for you to actually go down a route to make it happen because you're not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden accept yourself you're not just going to wake up one day and feel as if all your past pain and suffering and your identity and your character is just going to have simultaneously disappeared overnight because the night before you said to yourself I want to wake up tomorrow and not have it there it's not going to happen like you need expert people in your corner that are actually going to guide you and let you know how to overcome it because they've been there themselves and they have a proven formula to do it, which is what most people don't realize. And I think when it comes to people investing in coaching, for example, they mainly only see what they're going to lose through the monetary aspect and not what they're actually going to gain because they've not set an intention. 
and they don't have an understanding of truly who they want to become as a result of that investment. They know they want to change, but they don't realize what they need to change. And I'm all about fixing a symptom of a far greater problem. So, sorry, I'm I'm all about fixing the problem, not the symptom of a far greater problem, that's what I meant to say. So if you think about someone that comes to a personal trainer that's overweight, that's a symptom of a problem. Like, that's not a real problem, that's a symptom. That came from someone having been bullied in their younger years. That came from someone having been dumped in a relationship and their self-worth been through the floor. That came from someone having gone through a divorce and their wife or their husband got the kids and the divorce and they got the house and they had their identity stripped back from them. And essentially they turned to food for comfort, alcohol for comfort, gambling for comfort, porn for comfort, like smoking for comfort, drugs for comfort, like it, it, it can grow arms and legs. Even just sitting on the couch watching series upon series of Netflix is a form of comfort while you eat and while you drink and while potentially some people might take drugs. So it's about realising that a lot of people, especially in this industry, and I don't think they realise it, are always just focusing on fixing a symptom of a problem. They're always just looking for tactics. Tactics are eat more, or sorry, eat less, move more. When you can do that and you can be disciplined with it, you will get your results. But people don't educate on how to do that in a lifestyle which is highly stressful, and also amongst all of the pain that someone has experienced throughout their life, which has caused them to look at themselves a particular way. And that is the problem with this industry because the amount of people, I actually said to my clients last week, because going through a process of development in this way, that I coach my clients, for example, and you'll probably be quite similar, is longer than just transforming over a 12-week period, right? And I said to my clients last week, like, how many of you have felt frustrated when you've looked online and you've seen someone with an incredible 12-week transformation and you've been quite frustrated that you can't achieve it. And they were all like, yep, 100%. I'm like, I know, because I've been there myself. But also, think of the person that just came to mind when I spoke about that. When you met them a year later, were they still in that shape? No, they hadn't trained in nine months. <laughs> you know, so it's it's not sustainable. It's fixing a symptom of a problem. But ultimately, once that symptom kind of disappears, people think they're cured. And then they just go back to doing everything they were doing because they didn't actually know the real extent of the problem. And it usually comes down to their ability to manage stress because they've maybe not been able to do it, which can go into so many multifaceted ways. Like stress can come from a boss speaking to you at work in a particular way that you feel resonates with how your dad used to shout at you when you were younger. So you become complacent. You don't say anything in the moment. And then you go home and you drink a, gl a glass of wine, a bottle of wine and you order a takeaway. That's your coping strategy. That's your coping mechanism. So we actually look at things in that granular detail and we're like, right, I literally want you to go into your work and say this to your boss. I want you to rehearse it and I want you to go and do it. And don't get me wrong, my clients will shit themselves. But once it's done, they'll go, I feel so much better. And I'm like, okay, do you believe that you can do this again in the future now? 100%. So there's one trigger down, right? There's one trigger down. What's the next trigger? don't have great boundaries in place with my family. They always just tell me their opinion. Okay, so did you see how you just communicated to your boss there? Do you think in a calm manner you could communicate how you are made to feel by your parents to your parents? Have you ever voiced that? No. And I'm like, so how are they supposed to know? Like, it's not their fault. And actually, you have to take responsibility that it's you that's not put this boundary in place. No one else can take responsibility for how you make yourself feel, even if someone has said something. If someone walks up to you in the street and says, Ryan, you're a fucking cunt. You can just go, kill cool, me, don't know you, see you later on. 
or you can react based upon insecurity. Someone come up the street and called me a cunt. I would just be like, you're a psychopath, mate. I'll see you later. <laughs> Instead of actually getting your back up and thinking, who's this guy calling a cunt? Sorry for the three C-bombs dropped back to back for anyone that's listening, doesn't like squaring. I'm from Glasgow. So unfortunately, that's <laughs> the way life is. Um, so it, it can go into so many different like areas of their life and it can be triggered because so many branches that you have to deal with on a daily basis that can get triggered at any given point, any point. And you have to think almost as like the tree is your foundation almost and all the branches are the triggers. You're trying to hold that stable, firm foundation, like the roots of the tree go into the ground. They're your foundations. They keep it strong. They keep it firm. They keep it from falling over. But the branches are the triggers that try and grow exponentially to the point where the tree needs to be cut down. For example, think of it from that perspective. Like if you've got a neighbor whose um, branches of their tree grow over your lawn every year, and you've got a dickhead neighbor that cares about that. And they're like, I want that tree cut down. It's kind of like that. So you have to look at realistically, first and foremost, how people view themselves and see themselves and speak to themselves as a result of it. Because the way that you feel will only ever come from a particular thought. If you tell yourself you're enough and you're achieving things, you'll feel incredible. Versus if you feel like you're not good enough, you'll start to feel like you're not good enough. You'll start to feel sadness, upset, frustration, lost to a degree like losing out on your goals losing out on your aspirations and all of these things will trigger coping mechanisms just like happy emotions trigger coping mechanisms in a different way it's like you're sad you'll order a chinese if you're celebrating a birthday and you're happy you'll go to a nice restaurant and order something off the menu that doesn't make you feel shit like they're they're, they're all based upon emotions and i don't think people quite understand and realize it my coping mechanism when I was younger, when I was going through all of that kind of stuff, was food. My mom and dad did a fucking incredible sweetie draw for everything that they may have done wrong. Don't get me wrong, they were good parents to an extent in other areas. My mom especially, my dad, um, but he probably wouldn't disagree with me saying that. But um, one thing I would say that they got very fucking good was their sweetie draw. <laughs> so I was in there all the time, we did the best of gear, and... I ended up like a skinny fat kid, essentially. Um, and I think once I had gone through the process of being able to speak, I then started team sports and I was kind of known as like the chubby goalie. Started playing on goals, great goalkeeper, but chubby goalie. Um, and then it got to a point where in high school, again, the kind of slagging slash bullying kind of started to an extent because it was quite an easy target. I was hanging about with some boys. They were making a lot of trouble. Didn't want to hang about with them anymore. So they kind of turned on me. And through that, I thought to myself, oh, I need to get myself in better shape to defend myself. I need to be big, I need to be strong, I need to defend myself because I was getting jumped at school regularly, I was getting bottles put over my head, like all of these different things, literally for no other reason than I just didn't want to be part of the crowd anymore, um, which is ruthless, and that's the part of the culture that we're in. And the way that I see it is like the universe does these things to you to build character. Like, I would actually never have any of this stuff any different. I love that it's actually happened to me because I would never be where I am today, um, whereas other people would fall victim to it. And I think I had that mindset quite early on. And I think as I kind of grew up, I did get in better shape. And as I grew up, I felt like I was void of a lot of things when I was younger that I didn't have. So for anyone that doesn't realise, like, you're usually quite void of what you were... Sorry, you usually value what you were void of as a child. So... 
a fewer void of popularity, recognition, status, which I very much was because I couldn't speak, couldn't really make a lot of friends and so on and so forth, then ultimately you go seeking that. But I went seeking for it in the wrong way. I thought you got all of those things the same way that those kind of kids who were making a lot of trouble and mischief were acting because they were the cool kids in school. They were the kids that no one would mess with because I wanted to defend myself. I didn't want to be messed with either. So then I started acting like them, but I wasn't being authentic. And people could tell. So even though people thought they were dickheads to a degree, people still got on with them because they did realise that they were kind of being authentic through what they were doing, like how they were acting, how their upbringing was. But people knew that wasn't me. And people really started to dislike me as a result of that. So I got to a point, I actually nearly went to jail because I was running with the wrong crowds. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I've just got this all wrong, like all wrong. Like, how could I end up here? Like, I'm actually a really nice kid and I know I'm a really nice kid. How did this happen? Um, and kind of from there, I kind of vouched to just go on a journey of self-betterment. And don't get me wrong, things got worse in other areas of my life since then. But people need to be curious. As children, we are not fearful of going out and climbing trees, getting into trouble, like... If you find something when you're a kid for the first time, you'll play with it, you'll throw it, you'll put it in your mouth. Like it's something new and you're just so overwhelmed by this new object or this new thing that you found to do. Whereas adults don't have that same curiosity. And people like you and I will put ourselves in those positions to be more curious because we know we're going to learn from them. But when people have never really been able to reframe their mind and see it as an opportunity to learn and only an opportunity to feel as if it's another thing in a cascade of issues that makes them not good enough, it really just pushes them further into a dark hole and it makes them trust themselves less and it makes them feel as if they're the problem when really the problem is just the systems they have in place to be able to deal with it and the way that ultimately they're supported either by others or by themselves because it's so easy even when people are going through that difficulty to go to friends, go to family, and say, do you know what so-and-so said about me? Oh, they're such a dick and they like collude with them. And it's like, that's not helping. If a friend came to me and started talking to another friend or to me about another friend about this, I'd be like, well, what are you going to do about it? Like, I'm not sitting here colluding with you and making this worse. I'm not buying into this behavior. What are you going to do? Just talk to them. Just go and speak to them. If you don't want to, your intention is that you're just going to be civil. That's it. But I'm not having this because I'm not going to be one of these people that, keeps you stuck as you are now, you know? And it, ugh, I could literally talk about this all day because there's so many different fucking perspectives and like areas it goes down. Um, but I like to try and give as much as I can for people to realise how deep it really is because I think they don't realise um, and what kind of contributing factors could have led them to being as they are now and what factors could be leading them to keeping them where they are now. Obviously, over the past things will do that, but also the current environment, current friends, current family. Uh, yeah, just so much. That kind of yeah. forgot the question, wasn't it? <laughs> nah, mate, that was that, that was good. And I think it's I think it's so evident, like from, from what you're talking about and kind of going back to the whole kind of 12-week transformation thing. Like if you seriously want to flip your life on its head and start moving in the right direction getting that before and after photo on Instagram is realistically just going to be, it's not going to be it. There's going to be a lot more work to be done. So although it's a little bit scary to think of, oh God, I'm going to need to knuckle down for the next six to 12 months. 
that's probably what it's going to take. It's not going to take 12 weeks. You're going to have to do a little bit of deeper work. So one of the questions that I had for you as well, while we were going on there was, if a client comes to you, how do you, how do you first bring previous trauma to, to the surface? How do you begin to work with a client to start thinking about that kind of stuff? Because I don't think a lot of people have ever thought about that stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would look at it first and foremost from a place of um, almost like interrogation behind the habits that have driven them to where they are today. Because people understand the surface more than they understand what's below the surface. Like you can walk along the street and it's cement, but underneath you've got pipes, electricity, gas, fucking everything. There's so many things going all over the place. So it would initially be questions like, so you've told me that you have regularly overate or binge ate for the past couple of years. And it's obviously made you gain weight. That's what you want to fix. You want to improve your relationship with food. You want to lose the weight. But what I want to know is when it actually started. When did it start? Give me a precise date. When was the first time you can remember losing control over food? Um, it was maybe around September 2015. Brilliant. Okay. So what happened in September 2015? Or around that time? I'm not too sure. Mm, you're 100%. Def- you definitely know. These things don't just happen for no reason. And this is the thing. It's about building trust with people as well. And it's about welcome, welcoming them with open arms appropriately. And that trust will always be the number one factor as to whether or not you can get the best result for the person. Um, and that's why I really do believe when it comes to clients treating them like friends because you can open up. So if you have someone that isn't willing to open up, sometimes it can just be a matter of time before they buy your trust in or they, they buy into your trust. Um, even if they buy into you and they invest in you as a coach, other times people from the trust they've already built in you and the conversations they've had before they jump on a call will already trust you fully. Um, some of the conversations I've had with people that I've only known through Instagram, through a couple of voice notes, and then jumped on a call with is, is frightening. It's more than I probably know about some people that are closest to me. And it's because that trust is there. So if the trust is there, it's essentially just probing them to kind of realize this kind of specific moments that have really caused this. So I would initially look at why it started recently. Like it could be a long-term thing for a lot of people, like back to childhood and they've always just done it. So sometimes you've had to go back that far. So can you remember like the earliest stage of your life where you overate and why that happened? A lot of people will say, oh, my mum and dad got divorced when I was younger and food was a coping mechanism for me because I thought it was my fault. And that's the thing, like when we're children, we don't usually get affected quite as much about the things that we experience as adults because we do have a little bit more emotional maturity, emotional maturity and we do understand how to kind of process it a little bit more. If we have developed ourselves to a degree to be able to process it, that is. Um, it's like when people in your family die, for example, and people are really caught up in the mess of it and they suffer for years. That's usually people that have suffered for a long time in their life and probably not admitted it. Like... Overcoming deaths in my family is a very, very easy thing because I've accepted death as part of life. No, I'm going to die. I know people around me are going to die. But you know the type of people I mean that are still hung up on the deaths that like their parents 10, 15, 20 years later, not just that they missed them, but they're hung up on them. They cry every time they're drunk. They are constantly in pain, constantly praying for them, like all of these sorts of things. And I'm not saying this to be offensive to anyone. I'm making people realise or want to make people realise 
that that's not a good way to live. And it means that underneath the surface, you can't control yourself emotionally and you're void of something from yourself that you were getting from those other people. And you can never get things that you need from yourself from other people. You can get them temporarily. But again, that's just solving a symptom of a problem for a very short period of time. It's like putting a plaster on a broken arm or a bit of duct tape on a leaking pipe. So when you can kind of go back and then get people to realise what they were thinking and what they were feeling, especially maybe when they were kind of children, is very insightful because it's like, right, okay, so you thought this was your fault. Why did you think it was your fault? And this might sound a little bit like therapy. I remember when my first um, in-house vision, sorry, my in-house psychotherapist, Jean, came on board when she first came on board. She actually said to me, like, have you ever done anything when it comes to therapy? And I was like, nah. And she was like, you've definitely got psychotherapist vibes. There's things that I can't do, obviously, from an ethical standpoint, but all I'm doing is asking questions and figuring out. So tell me, why did you feel like it was your fault? Well, they were always fighting. My dad never really liked to take me out anywhere. He said I was always a burden when I took a, when when he took me anywhere because I was always crying. I wasn't the best to take out, and so on and so forth. And I'll just say something simple: like, do you know that you weren't the problem, and your dad's ability to deal with you was actually the problem? And they'll be like, "Oh, I've never thought of it from that perspective." And then I would say, "Well, think about you now. If you had to have kids, if they don't have kids, or think about your kids now. Good mum or a good dad." Yeah, I do, 100%. Can you deal with your children in that situation? 100%. Would you blame them if they made you act in a different way? No. So why do you think it's any different for you? And then it's almost like light bulbs go off and it's about trying to get them to then, on a consistent basis, remind themselves of that fact. So even that's why telling yourself things that, you wouldn't normally so powerful because the brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not real. Like schizophrenia, for example, those people think that there's crazy things going on in reality that are not happening. Yes, they're diagnosed with a mental illness, but it just goes to show if the mind is, is, is told something, it's believing what's in front of it, right? And we have the same ability to do it. We can either tell ourselves we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough, we're not successful enough, but that just literally comes down to some insecurity somewhere that is holding you back from accepting yourself as you are now. So if you can write down things on a regular basis and tell yourself otherwise, like I am successful because I have achieved X, Y, and Z. I am enough because I have a beautiful family. I have people around me that love me. My kids cherish the time that they spend with me. Write this in like your journal every single day. And over time, you will believe it because you're telling yourself something different. People think that these things don't work. They just don't try them for long enough to realize that, it's as fucking simple as that. Even if you don't believe it to start with, but you're not going to. Like, when I, I kind of developed a binge eating disorder due to low self-esteem, which is part of my story that I hadn't kind of brought up, I hadn't developed that from just anywhere. It came from years of probably pushing pain and some trauma and stuff down. And it got to a point, like I never actually got any help to get out of it, but I had it for roughly about 18 months. And it just kind of clicked in my head one day and I'm like, I am not going to tell myself that I'm this person anymore because I don't want to be this person. So what am I going to do about it? And I used to literally just write in my journal, like, I am not a binge eater. 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 Then when I sat with myself and kind of realized what drove me to food, it was like all of the triggers that drove me to food. It was um, like, it was things that I would maybe experience throughout the day. It was tiredness. It was energy. So I would write things like, I am going to make sure that I go to my bed tonight. 
so that I'm not tired tomorrow and I don't overeat. And that's the kind of depth that it started to go to. Like I would pick everything that, that, that triggered me to do it along telling myself I wasn't it. And then before I knew it, I wasn't doing it anymore. I used to sit on Sundays and eat ridiculous amounts of calories and just binge. And I remember saying to myself, like, Sundays are a day of rest, but rest is not correlated with food because I used to associate downtime with food. So I used to sit and write that to myself. So now when I go on holiday and I sit there by the pool, like people doing all-inclusive restaurants, they'll just be up back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which I used to do. I can just sit there now without relying on food. When I go on holiday now, I have two meals a day because I, I use that to cater for drinks and stuff. And I feel great because why would I want to sacrifice how I felt on holiday? Everyone knows two, three days into a holiday after you went overboard, you feel shit about yourself. Having that foresight of how these things make you feel and then putting principles in place to protect yourself is gold. And that's why I live my life by a particular amount of principles. And I have those principles in my phone and my laptop and sticky notes and they're at the point now where I've revised them and I have these principles because I know if I had to get caught up in the emotion of what's happening or the thought process of what's, what's happening and I had to make a decision it might be the wrong one so I can literally just go to my principles they make the decision for me and it's almost like a rational version of me speaking to a unrational version of me <laughs> so yeah to, to answer the, the question um, yeah you just have to ask better questions when it comes to finding this stuff out about your clients because too many coaches coach like they coach and not well they don't even coach coaching is like asking questions and getting people towards answers they teach they tell the clients what to do they tell them what they think the problem is they tell them what they think they should do you can only reach a new paradigm shift which is literally where you start to reframe your thought processes on your own yeah. so if someone asks you a question you've never thought of and you go oh i've never thought that like that's so intriguing actually yes x y and z that person is then going to walk away from the conversation you've had and been like i feel so much better after that like have you ever had a discussion with someone that you might not even coach that's actually said to you for like two three weeks after they spoke to you they felt incredible like invincible and then they maybe come back to you three weeks later and go actually we do want to coach with you because see for those two or three weeks i felt invincible and that was only a tiny bit of gold that i got from you and then things started to get overwhelming again so if i can take more from you and an even longer time frame, what would my life look like? And yeah. that's what you're kind of trying to achieve. And that's what people should be looking out for. Because even like with the work that I do, I have a process. Like I do not get on a call with people until they've given me so much. And I know for a fact they have the problems that I can solve because I don't want people to come into a community of amazing individuals where it's a safe space, where we're doing this sort of work. And it to be disrupted by someone who's just totally obsessed with her physique. You know what I mean? Because it just doesn't complement one another. And those people aren't receptive really to the the syllabus, the curriculum. And it just, it, it's the best word for it. There's a phrase for this and I can't remember what it is. Talk so much, I can't even remember my words anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like, um, is that a worm in the, the cabbage patch? Is that what it's called? A worm in the cabbage patch? I'm not sure. I think that might be a phrase. <laughs> like I learned that from my grandpa. But yeah. I hope that makes sense. No, no, that no, makes complete sense. Um, I think obviously what you were just saying about there, like it's it's asking, it's getting people to ask better questions of themselves. Like you've you've not come on this call, come on the podcast, and told me ten things you should do tomorrow. You've you've said certain things, and as you're speaking, it's, my brain's ticking over very slowly, but it's ticking over, and I'm beginning to ask myself questions. 
And this is yeah. the, kind of the same thing clients should do as well. They should be listening to this. They should be thinking, right, okay, how does this relate to me? How can I, how can I ask this question of myself? Um, and taking time with that thought, don't, don't just go, okay, that was cool. Listen to that and run away and go and do the next thing in your life. Take a little bit of time to take it in and absorb it and, and ask these questions of yourself and see how they apply to you. Um, Cause it can be massively helpful and it can be the, one of the biggest things that you could take the next step forward with. Um, 100%. And the thing is, see with that as well, because every PT experiences it, it's clients saying, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's like, that's not beneficial. Like that's, it'll work. Yeah. hundred percent it'll work. But you could have got that from Google. Like we're teaching you how to think here. And when you can teach people how to think, they can literally do anything they fucking want. Whereas if you just tell people what to do, they'll never know how to do it in different ways. Yeah, 100%. Um, I got a little bonus question for you because I've heard you speak about this before and I think you frame it in a really good way. Um, and can, as we spoke about at the start, the whole kind of the attitude, the mindset in Scotland with the cold drugs, alcohol culture. Um, I've got a lot of clients right now and I speak to a lot of people on a daily basis and they can't seem to set boundaries for themselves. They can't seem to say no. They feel like they're in this crowd or they're in this space where this is just what I do at the weekends. I, I can't seem to pull myself out of this. How do you approach that with someone that's, that's wanting to make a change but doesn't know how to step away from that kind of culture? Yeah. So, I mean, again, there's so many different ways that you can approach it. And there's coaching is all about collaboration, but coaching is also about sometimes saying what needs to be said to people when no one else is saying it to them. And I think from a coaching perspective, when you are a good coach like yourself, you'll always try and guide them and you'll always try and take them on a journey and you'll always try and get them to realize what they're doing wrong, what they could try differently, what they could implement and so on and so forth. Now, I think one of the biggest problems with it is that people usually can't see their life without this thing. And it's because it gives them some degree of satisfaction that they are kind of lacking elsewhere. So it's under, understanding where they're kind of void of what they feel they're getting from what it is that they do. And really kind of appropriate question is just to say, what benefit are you getting from it? So what benefit are you getting from going out every weekend? Because there is a benefit. Human beings only do things they find value in. So see the person that sits and binges on the couch and hates themselves afterwards. Sorry to say, you find value in it and you find a benefit in it. Even if you feel fucking terrible afterwards, you're doing it because you enjoy something about it. It might be the security it brings you, it might be the comfort it brings you, but you enjoy it. So it's figuring out what that is first and then trying to replicate the satisfaction in a different way. So it's like, when do you feel similarly satisfied to that? <sighs> when I smash a week on all my non-negotiables. Okay, just give me a week. Can you give me a week and just not go out one weekend? And it's like that gains traction over time because it's like baby steps, it's like building brick by brick. And when someone realizes they can do it, even if they do go out the following weekend, say like, hey, that's cool, but you've not tried in two weeks, but it's before it was every week. So could we maybe miss next weekend and get back to feeling our best there yet again? Absolutely. Even just small kind of tactful things as well of like turning your WhatsApp off on a Saturday night, like for example, like um, deleting it from your phone or turning all notifications off and putting your phone, like I've went to some extent before when I was trying to detach myself from, from kind of poorer crowds. I've went as far as locking my phone away in my car and then get in the house and just leaving it there overnight. And it's it's about trying to make it more difficult for yourself to, to do that thing that you're trying not to do. Um, even things like if someone has a gym membership that the gym's open till eight, 10 o'clock at night, go to the gym on Saturday night, like the last hour, go and then scheduling a session for the Sunday morning, I can guarantee if you start your week on the Sunday rather than the Monday, you're going to feel 10 times better 
because you're not dying on the Sunday, you're you're more organised, and then you're straight into it on the Monday, feeling like you've already gained momentum. But also in saying that, like as much as these tactics and this kind of guidance can help, sometimes you just have to have a very firm word with someone um, based upon knowing the destruction that it can cause, especially if you've been there yourself. Because I was that guy that would never go home before 6, 7 a.m. in the morning. I would go out for three days in a row at times. And it, it was ridiculous now looking back because there's no need to do it. Um, so I had a client a couple of weeks ago, for example, that he's been with me quite some time. He's lost a, a fair ton of weight, but the only thing, the only thing he struggles with is going out every weekend. Now, he's had stints and, and spells where he's done well, but his problem is he always tells himself that I'm not drinking again for nine weeks. I'm like, stop saying nine weeks. Like, it's a week, week at a time. Like, we're not looking any further than that. A week at a time. But he sets that intention. Even when I say, let's not frame it that way, he'll be like, okay, mate, no problem whatsoever. But he's already framed it that way. So his intention is already nine weeks. So what we are trying to do is kind of reverse his intention to just be a short time frame that's far more manageable. But a couple of weeks ago, he basically messaged, he was like, I'm not too sure if I can afford the programme anymore. And that's because he'd been away drinking. He'd been out every weekend for the past five weeks. He had um, been away on trips and so on and so forth. And he was actually behind on his payments, which I gave him a little bit of leeway with because I knew that he's just a little bit lost in that area. And I see a lot of my previous self in him. And I just had to tell him it was the most fucking stupid thing he could do. <laughs> um, I was just like, from my perspective, I would have loved to have someone in, in your position when I was younger, when I was your age, to be able to give me this advice because I know for a fact I would have snapped out of it like this. And unfortunately, this is what's going to happen if you leave this program. You're going to go back to exactly where you were. And that's not me trying to manipulate you to stay on. I know from your behavior right now, because you've not solved this problem, you will go back to where you were. You will also not have enough money to move out, which I know is one of your goals, because if you can't even owe me the money that you owe me, you're never going to be able to save up enough for a house. So what we actually then done was kind of break down goals they wanted to achieve, not only for his performance. So like he's now running a marathon. We've kind of dialed in his fat loss phase even more. We've now set goals for how much money he wants to save on a monthly basis. We've got so granular with the details of like when he wants to be out. So we set more clarity as well. Clarity around results for those types of people are really important because motivation for change is bullshit. People will only feel motivated when they don't actually know how much time, effort, energy, money, and how much of their life that they're willing to give up to achieve the results. So they only last short term anyway. So when we stretch that vision and look to like that yearly goal of this time next year, I want to be moved out. How much do you need to move out? Six grand, seven grand, whatever it was. Okay, how much you need to be saving per month? How much are you making per month? How much are you spending per month? And when he was telling me how much he was spending, I was like, mate, you could be at the house in five months. Never mind a year, but we're going to give you leeway because we're not expecting you to save all your money and never go out again. But because he's got clarity on the marathon, he's got clarity around his goal for his holiday at the end of September, which he wants to be in great shape for. He's got clarity around how much money he wants to save. He's been fucking on the ball. On the ball. And he's he's been ticking the box as well. And it would never have happened unless we'd gained clarity, had conversations. He's still got in place the things we tried to guide him, like the tactics of like, put your phone in the car, like switch off your WhatsApp, delete it, don't go on Instagram on a Saturday night, go to the gym. Like he's now still living by them, but he's living by them because he's got the clarity around what it is that he wants to achieve and how he needs to ultimately get there. And if one weekend he spends 300 quid and it's the same every weekend of the month and he wants to save 700 quid a month, like he'd only be able to go two weekends. So it still gives him that leeway, but 
once he gains momentum to see how much he's saving, how much he's progressing, how better he's looking, like how much better he's performing, it's only going to be a matter of time before he starts to realise he doesn't want a baby. That 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 recently, that that frequently, sorry. So yeah, I was um again, I'm so sorry for giving very, very, no. very long answers to these questions. <laughs> no, mate, that was an amazing answer. I appreciate that. Um I think it's all it's it's really good because I think a lot of people you could some coaches would maybe just go and say to him, but but why are you doing this? But it's it's hard for someone to think about oh, why am I actually why shouldn't I go out? They don't have that deep enough thinking. The way that you've kind of done it there, you've went into the, how much money can I save, um, the marathon and other metrics that you can go by. And then when he starts breaking it down over, say, like a 12-week period, he's like, all right, okay, here's a few reasons why I should actually not be going out every single weekend on a bender. So yeah, I think that's a superb way to look at it. And yeah, yeah mate, I think we're, we're around about 52 minutes in. So um, no, mate, some incredible answers. I massively appreciate them. Um, where can people find you? Where can, when can people get a hold of you? Um, mainly Instagram, uh, to be honest, unless you just want to add my personal Facebook, which is Mark Strathern, because like I just post all the same shit I post on Instagram on my personal Facebook anyway. I do have a business account on Facebook, but that's still called Mark Strathern Personal Training because I've not got around to actually changing the name of it yet since I went online, which was two years ago. Um, so obviously it's not face-to-face anymore, but um, my Instagram handle is Mark Strathern underscore the people's PT. People's PT, of course, for a reason, um, because it's for the people. And to be perfectly honest, as much as this conversation has all been around like self-acceptance, self-worth, the results that you can achieve for yourself and the things you can do after you've put those foundations in place will trump anything that you achieve in a 12-week process because it's going to be for life. And it won't just be this thing you do because most of my clients, on average, my clients stay anywhere between 15 to 24 months. Like that's an average lifespan of a client because they then go, I feel unstoppable what's next because I want to keep on going like what is next right okay I've run a half marathon I'm going to do a full one after the full marathon right I'm going to do a triathlon after that you know what actually never thought I would say this but I'm going to do a photo shoot not because I want to get in shape but because I want to do it for the love of myself and it just continues on from there so I think this stuff sometimes can sound very airy-fairy to people and that's okay if that's your perspective on it even though you're wrong um but these are the foundations that people are missing like it's no secret why men have a huge um, suicide rate at this moment in time because they don't they don't tap into this stuff, they don't speak, they don't understand, and they get told not to. They almost get shut down when they try to speak about it. I'm just fortunate enough that I've been able to do this work in myself, and I'm actually thankful to myself for being able to do it um, without much help, which has been good. But the new levels that I got to, I had to seek more professional help from mentors and stuff to take me down different avenues in my life. Um, this just comes from sitting with headphones on and not being able to speak for a number of years. <laughs> oh, mate, amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. That was one of my favourite podcasts I've done today. Um, really good to, to listen to you listen to you speak. So, mate, thank you very much. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome, mate. I'll catch you in a bit. Cheers. Thanks for having me.